This is What Next, the future fiction podcast exploring tomorrow through the stories of today. Utopia, dystopia, time travel, the apocalypse, from aliens to zombies and everything in between. Every episode is a new future. Would you rather go on holiday to a seaside town, but like proper British seaside, as in there's only the beach and arcades, that's it, that's all you can do. Okay. Or go to a random location for holiday, so you don't know where it is. Who's picked it? It's just random, like imagining it as kind of like some competition that they've done. Oh, <laughs> they've okay. Got a random holiday for you, but they're not going to tell you whether it's in a hot and cold or whatever. It's just a random place. Hmm. How long am I away for, did you say? Let's go for a week. I think I'll take the random holiday. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. life's a lottery, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that's true. You've got to try these things. I think if you're at the seaside, you're going to get bored of arcade games Yeah. pretty quick. Yeah. I feel like as British people, you can have the novelty for a day, maybe yeah. two days. But after that, that's kind of, you know, there's only so far you can do there's that. Only so, there's only so many two peas a man can lose <laughs> <laughs> and retain any that, sense of fun. For that one Mauan bar. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah, I think I'm not being down on the seaside holidays at no. all. Like they're they are a treat, mm. and I do love to be by the sea. I find it very peaceful and very restful to be by the sea. If I was booking myself a nice holiday, you know, like as a treat, um, I would gravitate towards seaside. Mm-hmm. I do quite like the idea of just taking off and going yeah. somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I'll I take the I'd... random one. Yeah, that's fair. I think I'd probably be the same. Mm. We've kind of picked the same so far. We're doing quite well, aren't we? Yeah, really? yeah. yeah. So this week, I read The Ones That Walk Away From Omelas. I right. think it's pronounced. Now, we did look at a guide from Le Guin herself. However, uh-huh. I'm dyslexic. I'm just going to use that every week for anything that I mispronounce. And go yeah, with run it. with it. Yeah, yeah. So it's called The Ones That Walk Away From Omelas. It's a short story. It's only like, I think it's like three pages, three and a half pages. And again, it's very much on the side of... You know, you presume it's a future fiction. At least it's set fr- somewhere away from now, and presumably somewhere ahead of now, because it's basically talking about what you presume to be like an evolved society. Evolved in what sense? So we start off with this description of this idyllic seaside town in the midst of a festival. Basically, it's a summer festival. It's pictured as just being like. Whatever image you get in your mind of what an idyllic seaside festival would look like, that's what there's children laughing, there's mums with their new babies, there's ribbons everywhere, there's buntons everywhere, there's music, there's horses that don't even have any like bridles or anything on because they're just, it's the the space is that good that they'll just involve because they want to be. Yeah. Yeah. So it's. It's yeah, it's set out to be this sort of lovely, lovely place. Um, and as as the the author or the speaker is describing this sort of wonderful place, they kind of almost get so overwhelmed by this city that they're kind of like, I don't even know if I can describe how amazing this place is. Bit of a problem for a short story writer. Yeah, yeah, a little <laughs> bit, a little bit. So they kind of, you know, they're kind of going overboard and they're kind of sort of saying, you know. I can't even describe how good it is. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, they stop on the word joy. So the writer says, you know, scenes of such joy, joy, what is joy? 
And that's where we can start introducing the sort of theme of this story, I think, because it talks about how, you know, you can't use words like joy and smiles in this in this city of Omelas because it doesn't truly describe the feeling or the environment in which they aim because it suggests that there is a reason why they wouldn't smile or a reason why they wouldn't feel joyous. Oh, like, okay. Maybe you'd imagine that there's a king that comes out with their slaves and what have you, but there isn't. There isn't. There is no king. There's no slaves. There's no... In fact, there's no authority at all. If there are rules which the reader doesn't know, then they imagine there'd be few. And at this point, we sort of get the impression that the speaker doesn't actually live in my last. They are viewing it from whatever angle, whether they're a tourist, whether they're just looking from above, whether they've just heard it in a you know, from somebody else. It feels like the purest form of utopia, right? In the sense that it's so good that it's not even good in opposition to something. Like there's yeah. no there's no bad side to it at all. Well, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, that's the the picture they're trying to create uh-huh. is that this is place is so amazing. In fact, it's so amazing. So the author kind of goes on to say, try and think about what you would picture as something perfect, and that's what this is. So it kind of goes on to say almost as if like this city is everyone's utopia. Whatever yeah, utopia wow. is for you, that's what you should think of when you picture Omelas. And obviously, going back to talking about the idea that there's there must be this, this king or whatever, they talk it talks about how we kind of fantasize or raise up the idea of pain and misery as being intellectual, as being the stronger emotion, as being the only thing that you can really be like artistic about. When in in actual fact, that's not true. Pain and misery and all that—that's boring. Joy and and happiness—that's the true great feeling. Wow, okay. Um, which I thought was a really interesting point. So yes, yeah, so they talking about how amazing it is. Lovely little line saying, now if you think that I'm, you know, they're describing a, a city that's too, too good, you know, don't want to describe it as like a little goody two-shoes sort of city, have an orgy. Yeah, if you think that sort of mixes this to city up a bit, there's an orgy going on. Oh, I see. So yeah? they're saying it's purely good as in it's delightful. It's not purely good as in it's morally yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this isn't right. some kind of like, you know, angelical city, you know, it's just good. It's just yeah. amazing. And so, you know, everyone's free, essentially. Free to have sex when and with who and with how many, <laughs> how many you want. Um, and I mean, it's sounding pretty good so far. I mean, it is, right? Orgy I'm, if you want it. We're by the sea. There's wild ponies. Yeah, we're having a great time. I'm on board. Yeah, exactly. You would be, wouldn't you? Yeah. And it also talks about, like, well, we'd have another interesting point where we'd have temples, but... Maybe not the temples in which you think of them. You know, we can have religion and temples there, but there's no priestesses or priests or anyone kind of, or like lining out these strict rules. There's just simply people worshipping religion. And that is, that is it. Nice. Fine. Yeah, which I thought was a really interesting take on, on the involvement of religion in, a, in an idyllic world. And along this point of thinking, oh, it's too good. The speaker also says, well, you might think there's no drugs, but there is. There is drugs. But so it's the good it's drugs. It's the good drugs. <laughs> <laughs> it's the ones that make you feel great, make sex feel great, but have zero side effects. And if you're not interested in that, then have a pint of beer. <laughs> it's essentially what it says, yeah. which I also really liked. So yeah, so continue with this sort of lovely, perfect like setting where there's no there's not even police there's not even there's not a need to police everyone is just fine as they are and then it goes on to say 
do you believe me yet? Do you believe that this is a space? If not, right, let me tell you one more thing. And that's where it changes. Uh Uh-oh. For like the last maybe page of this story. And the change is just so, so drastic that it kind of does throw you. I guess, you know, in any story, it has to have some kind of hitch somewhere. So you're waiting for it. But this is a huge hitch, I think. And so the the lead into this hitch, before we get to what it is, is mm. you might think this place is too good to be true, and it fully is, because now I'm going to hit you with something that's yeah. going to make you believe it's real, but yeah. it's really going to take the edge off. Absolutely. All right, At okay. 100%. Yeah, I like yeah. it. Yeah. So it goes on to describe that there's a cellar underneath a house or a palace or whatever, somewhere in the city, and completely contrasting to what you've just described. This cellar is dark, it's dirty, it's dingy, it's small. There's a mop and bucket in the corner, presumably to clean or whatever. And in a corner of this room, there is a child. And the child looks young, but probably is a bit older than it looks. Presumably malnourished, not cared for. And that's the reason. And it goes on to say that they're not buried. This child doesn't really do much, whether because it's gotten used to imprisonment, so therefore it's got nothing to stimulate itself with. So they just it just, you know, basically sits there and does nothing all day. Wow. And he also says it could be it's either a girl or a boy. It's not it's not specified. So instead of saying he or she, it's described as it. So it doesn't do anything all day. It never leaves the room. So it really, really kind of dehumanizing this child. In just such a brutal kind of way. Like, Man, even the tone in the room as you're describing that, I feel I feel much more down than I was three minutes ago. Right, right. Mm. And I and I think I think that feeling there really kind of like it brings to what I guess this story maybe he's trying to say. Yeah, you know. So yeah, so it says this child never leaves, stuck in the cellar, and sometimes doesn't know when because there's no window in there, so it's got no sense of time. But sometimes people come to to look at it. They'll look. Sometimes someone might go over and kick the child, but they don't ever. They don't ever say anything. They'll fill the water and the food, and that's it. And then they all go away again. And the child hasn't always been imprisoned, and we know this because it remembers. Or the you know the, the reader says basically it remembers what it was like outside the room. Mm-hmm. So when people come, it says, "I'll be good. I'll be good." And you know, is a kind of let me out. Can mm-hmm. I come out now? I'll be good. Which is. Just heartbreaking, really, in the in the sense of it. I'll talk more about it afterwards, but even just that that phrase, "I'll be good." Yeah, and you can kind of really see that there's a picture that's being painted here of what this is. And then the reader kind of goes on to say that everyone in Omelas knows about this child, and um, whether they've been to see it, whether they've not been or just been told. Most of the time, you'll go as a child and you'll be taught about it. They say that even when people are taught about it, when they go, they find themselves being really emotional and really distraught and kind of wanting to help this child. But they can't because the one rule is that if the child is let out of that room, all of the perfect idyllic happiness will go. Ah, okay. this perfect world is dependent on this child being locked in the cellar. Right. So this idea of the city or the place Mm. existing outside of that there is no joy without suffering idea right it was just pure joy for the Mm -hmm, first two mm -hmm. pages yeah then it's like no but there is suffering but it's just purely distilled into this one child they are the balance the yin to the yang absolutely whoa yeah 
big world. And, it, you know, it describes how, you know, people at first, they're like miserable and they're like, my God, what, how awful is this? I should do something. I should let the child free. But then as the more they think about it, they're like, well, if I let the child free, then everyone suffers. Isn't this the greater good? You know, isn't this? And even if I did let the child out, they wouldn't have a life because they're already malnourished. They've never, they haven't been outside for ages. It would be huge. Basically, all these reasonings to kind of justify ignoring the problem. Yeah. And then the last paragraph goes into say that apart from a few, so a very few people who go to see the child, either don't go home afterwards or maybe in a couple of days afterwards on their own, they just get up and walk out the city. And it describes them walking past the city gates, past the fields of the farmers, past everything into what is unknown. They don't know what's outside. The city of Omai. Right. I think the way that they, they describe it, because it does say that people travel into the city for the festival. So whether that's people from the just the nearby towns that travel mm-hmm. in, or that's people from outside actually Omailas coming in, and people from Omailas have never been out. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that these people who have been born and lived and raised in Omailas, a few of them decide, nope, I don't want this, and walk out. And right. right, it describes that they don't know what's out there, but the people who walk away seem to know where they're going. Oh, okay. And so that's how it ends. Wow. So huge. So much <laughs> like in that little short story. And I think the reason why I like it is because, yeah, it kind of seems very, what's the word? Like a very obvious painting of a reflection on society and stuff in general. But I do think it's a really good way of painting the picture of what is a very general, like, real and real human struggle of there are so many things I think we we have that we enjoy that we take part in that has roots or has connections to or or even it's just a distraction to the problems that are going on in the world and that we reason ourselves and think well I can't fix everything or well nothing can be great everywhere I should just enjoy what I have but that doesn't change the fact that it's there mm-hmm yeah, and the idea that if we were to leave that, there can be no happiness without pain. If we left that, we don't know what, what is outside of that. We don't know what kind of world there is if we decide to say, nope, we're not going to put up with this anymore. Yeah. And, you know, is that why we don't? Right. We don't leave what we've got, if that makes sense. Because even though it might be the obvious moral action, mm. it's much harder than you might realise oh, to step out of... Yeah. your utopia whether that's yeah. the world that we live in now with the level of consumption that we have mm. and devices and fast fashion and mm. food uh, production and all of that kind of stuff mm. that we know there is some form of difficulty or suffering mm. on the end of whilst it might be the moral action to separate yourself from that mm. it's a real leap into the unknown right yeah it's absolutely. how do you how do you stop consuming the things that we consume and still yeah. feel the fulfillment yeah. of being alive now. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. And the way in which I think that Legrin writes the people you know about how they do, they're affected by this child when they walk away and they want to do something, but then they kind of reason with it. I think it does kind of bring into perspective. And I don't think, I, at least for myself, I don't find myself thinking, oh God, what a horrible society of people that just let the child suffer. How evil. I think, man, I've been in that, that situation where I think, that's a huge problem, but that's also a really hard problem to deal with. Mm-hmm. So instead of doing anything, I'm just going to ignore it. Oh, yeah, it, absolutely. Which 
Yeah. Because, it, I mean, it's it's so cleverly done because you've got the suffering of one versus the pleasure of many. Mm. So you've distilled that idea of, yeah, there's somebody suffering for my new pair of jeans somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Also, this kid being locked in a cellar is like our equivalent of saying, yeah, somewhere on the other side of the world Absolutely. where because I don't have to see it, I don't think about it. Absolutely. And maybe I do think about it, maybe I do encounter it. Mm. But then what do I do? I top up the food in the water and I just leave and go about my happy life. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. wild. That's brutal. Yeah, it is. It's such It's such a brutal truth. Like it, It's such a hard, hard thing to swallow, really, at the end of the day, because it is just so true. And mm. we're all guilty of doing it. And like, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, you shouldn't necessarily be judged for doing that. But at the same time, it's still there, no matter what. And I think what she does in this story as well is really highlight the idea that, like, because when she stops and says, do you still not believe me? It's almost this idea that there is that you can't have a utopia. Yeah, yeah. It is is impossible to have a utopia. Somewhere, someone has to suffer in order to build something great. And, you know, is that suffering worth that greatness and i think that's that's you know cause for everything even when we went you know when when you think about the second world war yes it was very just cause yes you know thousands of people were being hurt but thousands of people had to die Mm. in order to reach that end goal of what we considered a better world and so i think it's it's just a really good honest sort of open reflection on yeah what at what point do you say it's all right for this person to suffer right Especially if you don't have to do anything. If it's just mm. the way that things are, yeah, it's much harder to intervene. And I think, you know, aside from the how easy it is to map onto current life mm. that we're talking about, I think also this feels like it's probably the text that we've had so far that's most actively engaged with what a utopia or a dystopia really is. Like, yeah. it feels much more philosophical. Yeah, the stuff that we've looked at so far has been, oh, what if this or what if this mm. element? Whereas this feels like it's using whether it's the future or whether it's just alternate or whether it's fantasy or whatever, it's really using it as allegory, right? So yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. We've got a completely fantastical environment, which yeah. is kind of nice, actually. I don't think we've had anything quite like that. No, yet. no, yeah, and that's what I think I really liked when I first read the story because I, I started reading the story thinking, you know, what, where is this going? Sort of. And I think this was actually one of my first introductions to short stories, because I think up until uni, I'd not actually read any short stories. Right. So it was a really good introduction because I was thinking, oh, right, how does, that, how does a short story be interesting? <laughs> how does that work when you've only got two pages? What can possibly happen in those two pages? It's going to interest me. And then, bam, that happened. Yeah. So I think, yeah, that's its power of being able to, like, in this short space, you get this kind of big, big ideas and these mm. big questions. But it's just so simply put. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's that turning point in the story as well where you've got that idea of... I can't remember who... I think I saw Margaret Atwood give a talk where she said this. I don't know if it's an original thought of hers or if it's from somewhere else, but mm. like, she said something like, beware the people who come along promising I can make everything better because there's one crucial question that they're not answering, which is better for whom? <laughs> Oh, yeah. That's, that's yeah. a really, I mean, really important thing to, like, I can make things perfect, right? But perfect mm, for whom? Because yeah. perfect for everyone all the time yeah. isn't going to work. And yeah. it feels like that's that's that crucial turning point in that yeah, story absolutely. of everything's perfect, everything's better. But if you zoom out, yeah, 
Yeah, than actually, it's t- right. Yeah, we, and it comes across that thing of like a utopia is never going to be utopia for everyone because everyone has different ideas of what they want and what they like. And so it is impossible anyway to have a utopia unless you have separate societies of like everybody's individual utopia or whatever. It's interesting you say that as well because I listen to a lot of crime podcast mm-hmm. things. And a point in which is made in this is that that's how cults start. So you have somebody is in, you know, it's very usual that they prey on people who are vulnerable, people who are missing something in their life. And someone comes along and says, I can fix that. Right. But they say, I can fix that. But for what? But at what expense? Yeah, at what expense? And I think, you know, that's very sort of reflective of this story as well. It's kind of like, you know, we can we can make that, but at what expense? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's a, it's such a heavy story, isn't it? It is. In three it, short pages. It is, yeah, which is why I felt like I'd choose a lighter, would you rather? Because <laughs> I was going to go for a really hard-hitting one, and I thought, actually, no. I'll yeah, would you rather one. be happy but a child suffers? Uh, exactly. Or... Yeah. yeah, I thought, I thought this is dark enough. Let's yeah. start off light, and then we'll go, and we'll go, just go downwards from there. <laughs> But yeah, no, so that's, that's yeah, I, I love studying the story because I think that's, a, especially because I was at uni at the time when I read it. And I think, you know, when you're 18, 19, you start thinking that like you are the, the next philosopher of yeah, the generation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those big yeah. ideas about the world really rock you oh, when yeah. you're just finding out oh, about yeah, them for the absolutely. first time. Like reading that thinking, oh my God, this is like the most revolutionary way of painting our society. So it was, you know, I think that's why it's, I think that's why it stuck with me really. But it's kind of funny that we're talking about that. As like a, oh yeah, remember when you were 18 and you like had the first thought that society is really unfair and you had to fix it. And we're talking about that as like, (laughs) oh, the naivety of youth. But like, this is in the Le Guin story of, oh, remember the first time you saw this miserable child in a cellar? (laughs) Yeah. Like, didn't that make you angry? Didn't that make you want to change stuff? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, here we are now (laughs) at the orgy. God, that's so true. That's so upsetting. That's so upsettingly true. Yeah. And that, and that is, I say it really, I was like, kind of summed up perfectly you know we are all human we all be like oh man i'm gonna change that but then life gets in the way and you think well i'm only one person well i can only do this and maybe and i'm just... comfortable yeah exactly i'm comfortable and, and to step out of my comfort zone that's that's hard that's scary that's difficult i'm, I'm just gonna stay here Oof. i kind of wish you hadn't read this <laughs> i know yeah i'm sorry i'm sorry i feel sorry. like you've given me a lot to think about like, yeah, have a, the... and none of it makes me feel good about myself no. <laughs> here's your existential crisis have fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let me know if uh, if you find yourself standing on a bridge. Uh-huh. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. Wow. What a heavy story. Oh, no, I'm going to no, read I'm that. Sorry. I'm going to have to read it. Where can I find yeah. it? You can find it in her short story, which I can't remember the name of, but All if right. you search, if you use that Google, and you it's the ones that walk away from or may last, you'll be able to find it. I think I don't think it's one of her well-read ones. It's definitely out there. It's out there. You can find it on like Amazon and anthologies and stuff. Yeah. All right. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. Maybe maybe have like a a really like light (laughs) comedy thing to watch afterwards to make to make you forget about the child in the basement and then you can continue your life in ignorance again. I'm worried I won't be able to fully relax watching my comedy show. I feel like it might just solidify the message of the story (laughs) a little bit too strongly. Wow. I better put on something mind numbing to forget about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that's what I did, so. (laughs) Does it still hit you hard now when you read it? Because, like, obviously you read it when you were younger and you said that Mm. that made a big difference, but, like, when you read it now, 
Yeah, I mean, I think when I read it now, the words that, that strike me, like I said, the thing is that the child saying, you know, I'll be good. And I don't know that's because I've worked with children now. So, you know, it's that innocence of it, isn't it? It's that idea that the child feels like it's their fault. And I do think that that is, that is something that we do when people are struggling, when people in society don't have enough money or, or can't afford this or the other, or I can't get out of whatever problem they're in. It's It's their fault that they're doing it. It's because you're not clever enough. You didn't work hard enough. You didn't study hard enough. That's why you're now in poverty. That's why you now can't mm. reach this, you know, this other side of, of having, you know, having wealth and what have you and being happy or supposedly. Mm. So I think that's what strikes me now is actually the, the, you know, the, those words and how much and what those words really mean mm. and actually how much it really solidifies like the innocence of this person who's suffering. This person doesn't actually know why they're suffering or what they're suffering for. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's what strikes me now as opposed to anything else. Wow, that's a powerful yeah. one. Thanks for bringing that. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. Enjoy. It is, it is a great story. All jokes aside, it's a great story. Lovely, lovely thing to read. So I definitely recommend it. Thanks for listening to What Next, the future fiction podcast. Be a part of our collective future by visiting futurepod.co.uk. You'll find reading lists and release dates for all of our upcoming episodes, as well as ways to get involved. Whatever the future holds, let's go there together.